and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about Jack the Ripper's alleged penis, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper, Case Closed by Patricia Cornwell. Joining us to discuss this true crime classic is Rebecca Mahoney, co-writer of The Bridge Podcast and author of the upcoming best-selling death fiction YA debut, The Valley and the Flood. Hello. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for coming back. Yes. Becky previously read the Five Nights at Freddy's tie-in novel, The Silver Eyes, with us. And we all kind of liked it. Kind of liked it. It gave me a fairly unrealistic view of the books that I would be covering here on Worst Bestsellers. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this one's way longer. (laughs) (laughs) And we figured it would be good to invite her back to read actual garbage so that Mm -hmm. she'd really understand. Yeah. Get the true crime crime audience also, I think, is one of our goals here. Yeah. You know, if you've listened to this podcast at all ever, you probably have gathered that I am not really a true crime fan. I also don't like fake crime. Um, Mostly I don't like murder uh, in any form. And so this was uh, (laughs) this is not my favorite. But uh, off the top, I would like to to just like give my spicy hot take on who Jack the Ripper is. And that is I don't give a shit uh these people all they're dead like by this point in time they would be dead anyway even if nobody murdered them and i just don't understand like who cares like um with like kind of more recent true crime stuff i again it's not for me but i sort of understand the impulse and maybe the interest in like oh, maybe this person was, like, falsely accused and we could get them out of jail or, like, bring someone to justice for, like, whatever crime. But, like, that's that's not the case here. Um, and it just seems like a lot of time, like, I don't know, I guess if that's fun for you, like, whatever, but she spent a lot of money on this process. Yeah, I guess she probably I'm- made it back with book sales, but, like... I I think if I had known that this was so I'd heard of this before I don't know that I necessarily would have been able to tell you that Patricia Cornwell is the person who wrote it but I knew there was a crime writer who had uh, decided that she was going to write a book about a fiction crime writer like before this she wrote like fictional mysteries yes and I knew there was a fictional crime writer who had written a book about Jack the Ripper where she purportedly solved it Um, and then I heard that it was like supposed to be ridiculous and bad and I guess my assumption had kind of been that it would be about her process and her research. And while there's a little bit of that in there, like the majority of it is just a blow by blow of all the murders. So sorry, Renata, uh, for making you read it. It's fine. I, um, I budgeted a lot of daytime reading for this so I could get it done in daylight hours. Um, and I, I mean, I was sort of entertained by this because it is such a, just such a badly written book like just kind of kind of thrilling almost in the way that like the room is a thrilling movie to watch because it just doesn't sort of make sense in the way that you know we understand movies to function this is sort of like that i think because if i were going to write a book about jack the ripper first of all would never but if i were going (laughs) to i might start it off with like 
a brief introduction to like an outline of the case and maybe like some common common other theories about the killer's identity before I like really dug into my theory um and then I would probably maybe try to go in like a linear order or like um or thematic maybe and I truly feel like this book like she just put all of her ideas like on index cards and then threw them up in the air and was like oh what's up first chapter about jack ripper's dick all right second chapter (laughs) about dna all right like whatever it and it and it doesn't follow the rules of like building suspense or anything because you know in, in one chapter early on she'll be like and my dna evidence conclusively matches this to this and then, like, two chapters later, she'll be describing the process of doing the DNA test and sort of being like, oh, and we were all very nervous because the first test didn't work and then the second one didn't work. And then, you know, what if we ran out of DNA material and we couldn't do any more testing? And it's like, bitch, you told me, like, two chapters ago that you did it and it worked. So, like, why did you put this chapter here and not also- earlier? The pacing of, like, the her telling her version of the Jack the Ripper story itself was fucking wild. Um, it would be, she would spend, like, a whole chapter talking about, like, the background of one of the victims. Then she would start talking about the murder. Then she'd go back and give, like, seven more pages of random background information based on, like, the dress the victim was wearing. Then she'd go back to the murder. Then she'd start talking about the autopsy. Then she'd go back to the murder. Like, it was... It was very slapdash. And it was also, like... I don't... The actual timeline of her project seemed whack. Like, from mm-hmm. what... From what it it seems, from what she writes in the book... Prior to 2001, she knew jack shit about Jack the Ripper. Ooh, nice. (laughs) That that would be the name of my book about Jack the Ripper. (laughs) (laughs) I know jack shit about Jack the Ripper. (laughs) And then in 2001, on an unrelated trip to London, she was invited to tour Scotland Yard. And they were talking about Jack the Ripper. And it piqued her interest. And she decided to research it. And then by the end of 2002, she had completed this manuscript, solved the Jack the Ripper case, and this book was on the shelves. <laughs> yeah. So it feels yeah, like... Yeah, that's a good point. There are, there are people... There's a whole, like, stu- the study of Jack the Ripper has a name. Like, there are people who are Ripperologists, uh-huh. who their entire lives are dedicated to this one crime case. And, like, just the idea of this, like... American woman marching in and being like, oh, maybe I can help you with this. Oh, I've solved it. Case closed. <laughs> All in a day's work. Well, and also, a again... dream of an experience to read. I know Jack showed about Jack the Ripper, but I did read some Wikipedia pages, and uh, other people had this theory also, and she, she sort of briefly mentions them, but mostly this is devoted to tuning her own horn. Um, would it? I think it would be helpful to give a very brief overview of the Jack the Ripper case. Yeah, you should do that. Yes, the Whitechapel murders, because I assume not everyone is, like, super well-versed in them. You know what, and, and good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and essentially, like, the very bare-bones facts about this case are that uh, in, like, old-timey 1880s London... There were a series of very brutal murders, mostly of sex workers, 
that were taking place uh, in like one particular area of London. And as the killings were investigated, the police started to string them together. The police started getting all these letters from person or persons claiming that they were the murderer. Um, but they, there were tons and tons and tons of letters. It like doesn't make any sense. That they would all come from the murderer, like a lot of like hoaxy things. And uh, the crimes, the murders were never solved. Uh, there, are, depending on who you ask, I'm there's ca- I like... think that they were solved. Uh, I think <laughs> all right, case Cornwell. Closed. <laughs> that is proven. <laughs> the case is closed now. Um, so there, there were a total. Depending on who you ask, how many murders were done by this person changes. I think there were like ten or twelve that were being investigated all together at the time but there are five canonical murders quote-unquote like those are the ones that pretty much everyone agrees were definitely done by the same person um and those victims were marianne nichols annie chapman elizabeth stride Catherine eos and mary jane kelly and this case has just like fucking gripped people for for ages like and the this the span of time when the murder supposedly took place i mean the murders did take place but where when like this killer was supposedly doing the murders is very short like it, it's from like 1888 to 1891 like it's it's not like a long drawn out time period it's just like very very brief and the ones that, like, all the ones that they think are most likely to have been done by the same person took place, like, within, like, four months. But this is a case that has, like, gripped people for a while. Um, you know, people were writing in. It kind of took over the media. It was one of the first, like, big media sensation murder cases. People were talking about it all the time like a hop news item um the area that where the murders were taking place had a large immigrant population and also was like very lower income and uh, was where a lot of the brothels and the sex workers worked out of so there's obviously like a class element to it as well <laughs> but it, it has been like i said there's like a fucking name for people who make their entire career studying jack the ripper like it it has become this huge big thing and patricia cornwell walked in and solved it in less than a year for us <laughs> amazing it's refreshing to hear you talk about it kate because i feel like i completely lost the thread of jack the ripper reading this book like like any red-blooded horror fan i had a serial killer phase when i was a kid i read about jack the ripper i feel like coming out of that book i know less about jack the ripper now yeah it's the the book is like fucking all over the place at the end of the day her her so so patricia cornwell wrote this book and the thing that she thinks that she has broken that no one else has ever come up with is that the artist walter sickett sickert is the person who is Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And I I did about as much background research into this as Patricia Cornwell did when <laughs> writing this book. Um, so she went to Scotland Yard. <laughs> um, but but from what I have what I recall from listening to podcasts and my brief reading about this earlier this week, like Sickert 
during contemporaneous lived contemporaneous to the killings, obviously, and he claimed at one point that he lived in the same rooming house as Jack the Ripper, and that the the matron of the rooming house told him who Jack the Ripper was. And he, he and, painted a painting of the room or of a room and entitled the painting Jack the Ripper's bedroom. Yes. So mm. someone wrote a theory that Sickert was an accomplice of Jack the Ripper. And I believe someone from his family, like, was like, oh, yeah, like, confirmed. We knew it. And then this guy, like, wrote a whole book. And then the family member, like, dialed it back and was like, I was just kidding. Like, no, that was, I was lying. Sorry. But people have kind of perpetuated it going forward. Um, the, um, the Stephen Knight, just to give credit, Stephen Knight was uh, the first guy t- who had the, the theory that Sickert was an accomplice. This is from Wikipedia. I tabbed over to my wiki tab. His book was called Jack the Ripper, colon, The Final Solution. So Oh, that's better. Yeah, his book only that's has one subtitle. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and also... Uh, also, the I... book, the graphic novel From Hell by Ellen Moore, Eddie, that was what I was Eddie say. Campbell, mm-hmm. yeah. is based on that theory as well. Allegedly, I haven't read it. Why would I read that? Come on. I have, but it's a long, <laughs> long time ago. But yeah, so this was her her theory, and she did, like, I'll get into this now, because she doesn't get it into the book for obvious reasons, but, like, everyone basically was like, you're fucking crazy, lady. Like, this is absurd. You know, what do you think you're doing? Like, how how you think we haven't thought about this before? Like, her DNA tests were, like, real questionable, I mean, of course, because this happened it's, so long ago yeah. that you're dealing with, like, a hundred-plus-year-old spit on an envelope. And she also, like, there was a lot of controversy mm. because in order to research this, she bought a lot of Sickert's paintings and apparently destroyed one in her effort to, like, find good DNA to match or something. And people were, like, the art world was real pissed at her for that. According yeah, to Wikipedia, quote, Cornwell denies having done this. <laughs> also, I mean, a- as I was reading this, one big thread throughout is just Patricia Cornwell sort of, like, name-dropping and status-dropping. And, you know, just casually being like, well, and then I went to auction and purchased these paintings. And then, um, and then when I was out to dinner with... And now I actually don't remember who, and some of the people I think weren't even particularly famous, but it was just like, I'm constantly invited to visit police stations and uh, research labs wherever I go. And I, I mean, I, I know her mystery novels are popular, but she, I, she, well, I was saying earlier, she comes across like Tahani of the crime world, like Tahani <laughs> from The Good Place, who's always, you know, name dropping, but it's such a weird effect in your Jack the Ripper book. I particularly enjoyed an offhand reference to her antiquarian book dealer. As you know, every girl has one. And it's like the things that she'll, the the reason, part of the reason why it seems so absurd to me is that like, this was big news at the time. And it was like a, a constant thing of conversation. At at the time, 2002 is when this book came out. Oh, I meant at the murder murder time. Oh, when the murders it, were happening, sorry. it was like a huge thing. Like everyone was talking about it. Like I said, it was one of the first sensational media things. Um, media murders. And 
like she'll take things like you know Sickert once made a joke or some girls once like chased him saying it's Jack the Ripper it's Jack the Ripper when like there's like evidence that people did that to everyone all the time you know and it'll be things like oh like he was carrying this particular type of bag and Sickert had that bag and it's like yeah it was the most popular bag sold in London that year very many people had it she <laughs> she gets a guest book from a and b at one point and somebody signed in as Jack the Ripper and she's like and Sickert I don't even think he was in the book but like people he hung out with had been to that B&B and someone had drawn doodles in it and she was like, and the doodles looked like his drawings, and somebody wrote their name as Jack the Ripper, and so clearly this is all connected. It's like like a galaxy brain meme. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's like how, like, it, when the teens at my library play um, computer games, they always put their name in as, like, Harambe, and if somebody... <laughs> which, by the way, still in, still in 2020, they're still doing Harambe, which is wild to me. But it'd be like, if someone came and was like, oh my god, like the, there's a gorilla that frequents this library, I guess. <laughs> it's just... it's at Reading it is just absurd. Like, the things that she... The connections that she's making... Even, you know, like, I, I've got a very rudimentary understanding. Jack Thurber's never been my thing. Um, I read Maureen Johnson's trilogy. I read, you know, I've, I've listened, when it comes up on podcasts I listen to, I've listened to it. I think there's an Unsolved Mysteries about it that I've watched, like, and other, like, fucking 48 Hours-esque documentaries that I was obsessed with as a child. But, like, she makes these connections that I'm like, lady what are you saying? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. The list of, like, there's a point where she talks about how there are sketches that he's done of, like, dismembered limbs. And by dismembered, she means, like, just, like, a floating limb on the page. Yeah, like, he just she, sketched an yes. arm. And she's like, right. and this may seem like what all artists do to, like, practice their their art but his look his don't just look like a drawing of an arm it looks like a dead arm and i'm like i feel like <laughs> and i i mean to be fair i did drop out of my art history class like halfway through it because i was like "Ooh, i this is too much nonsense for me no offense art historians i just don't get it but uh that seemed like a stretch one of my favorite stretches was um okay walter sicker was a um a protege, I guess, of uh, whatever his first name was, like, the Whistler, the famous painting, whatever, Whistler, painter Whistler. And apparently he was, Whistler was famous for having a really obnoxious laugh. And in the Jack the Ripper letters, whoever Jack the Ripper was, he would write ha-ha a lot, like, spelled out H-A-H-A. And she says that that that's how Whistler laughed was ha ha and so maybe Sickert picked that up from hanging out with Whistler and it's like ha ha is famously like how laughter is written out <laughs> I mean I guess he could also do like a he he or like something like that but like ha ha isn't uh, nobody has copyright on ha ha I started. Did so she I, also I, specify this is an American laugh? Yes, ha ha yeah. is an American laugh. 
It's a when I started reading this in the airport, um, I started to keep a list of all the reasons why she thought this guy did it. Um, and then I stopped because <laughs> I, I, it was an overdrive ebook, so I couldn't get it on my phone. I could only read it in my browser and my computer wasn't that charged and I was getting on the plane. But so like within the first three chapters, here are the reasons why Walter Sickert did it. Um, he had a penal fistula that meant that his penis was deformed. And by the way, we are going to get into that soon. Yes. <laughs> so that's we a reason why. Within 10 pages. And the and at the time, the like proto profilers said that whoever did the Jack the Ripper murders, it, the guy like had a deformed penis. So that's one reason. Her weird sketchy DNA evidence. Uh, he was jealous of famous people all the time. So that turned into rage that he had to take out on sex workers, I guess. Um, he liked to collect military uniforms. And at one crime, someone saw a person with a military uniform a couple hours before the victim was found. Type, very popular typewriter paper at the time was used in a letter that he wrote and one of the Ripper letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like... Mm-hmm. This is like the first three chapters. This is the <laughs> evidence that she's announced uh, amassing. Like, and it's not like oh, like very specialty paper that he had to go to a special store and they only sold like three bundles to people. It's like oh, it was one of like the top two most popular brands of paper being sold in London at the time. She goes like a deep into watermarks and stuff. <laughs> um, can we talk about Jack the Ripper's dick now? Sure, let's talk about Jack the Ripper's dick. And by Jack the Ripper, I mean Walter Sickert. Yes. And by Walter Sickert, I mean allegedly based on, like, one scrap of medical information. (laughs) Okay. Um, Because, yeah, Kate mentioned... Incontrovertible DNA evidence. (laughs) Yeah. Kate mentioned in her list um, that what even, like, it was the most bare piece of information because... You know, a, a subject, a, a personal subject like one's penis must be written about very delicately. Um, what did they say exactly? Like what he had had several, three, I think, was the number surgeries on his genitals, and the reason for surgeries, and and in either someone related to him or his sister in her memoirs mentioned something about a particular issue that would have meant that his urethra um, was too low within the penis and didn't come all the way up to the tip and that sometimes that's fine but sometimes it requires surgery but then also there's like three or four other things it could have been uh, including because I think some relative at some point said there was a hole in it yes, there was a hole I'm, in his dick I've only to the page uh, John Lesore, who was the the nephew, um, and he told me that, okay, it was listed as a, a fistula, which I was primarily familiar with, like, when women in childbirth get, like, a vaginal fistula, um, because that's something that, um, especially in developing countries, or just when there's not access to medical care, like, women can die from that. But to be honest, I didn't really know what it was, just that that term is related to, like, women dying in childbirth. But I guess you can have them other places. 
It's a hole is basically what it is. Sawbones did an episode on anal fistulas and how once they were very trendy. What? Trendy? <laughs> I need, I'm not, I'm absolutely not going to listen to that, but I do need 15 seconds on the use of the word trendy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's not, they're, they're a clean podcast unlike us. They, they can't use the explicit tag. So it doesn't go into that much detail. But, um, the short version is that a, um, some, some person in royalty, some king or prince or something had one and needed to have like a special surgery to fix it. And it became one of those things where it was like, oh, well, like the king had it. So it's like a cool disease to have. In like what get me year? one of those anal fistulas. Well, olden times. Why would you ever ask me what you're saying? In what happened? century is what I mean. <laughs> it was old timey times. Okay. And when you say trendy, I mean that people would say that they had this or the people would go out and like get them added to their bodies. Largely say that they had them, I okay. believe. Okay. That's I'll, better. I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. I'm still not going to listen to it though. That's but um, <laughs> I might. Yeah, it, listen, and it's nothing personal against Saba. I'm just grossed out by everything. Yes, but that was fine. <sighs> anyway, so she is. She's had these little scraps of information that he had a, a couple of surgeries to resolve a fistula, and and heard from a living relative that it was a hole in his penis. No, no further information. But she has constructed this whole world, and she's like interviewed specialists now that are like, "Well, if it was this, then this." Um, she also briefly veers into, "Oh, and maybe he was intersex." Um, doesn't really go anywhere with that. Seems like why, but um, uh, basically, like has concluded from her piecing her scraps of information together that uh, he wouldn't ever be able to have an erection, and so this would, like, fill him with rage. And, you know, what? like we were mentioning earlier, that basically this outrage about not being able to have penetrative sex would lead him to murder sex workers, which, I mean, I think, mm, oh my god, is she, like, is he the original incel? Is that, like, what... Oh, is that what this is? Maybe. You know what? It might be. Oh, God. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say Walter Sickert's penis is maybe like a quarter of the book, let's it's, say. It's so much. It's and like we said, immediately within about 10 pages, we're in penis town. Yeah, it's it's and it just keeps coming back. You think like, oh, I've reached the point. I've reached the end. She's talked about the penis, so we can move on now. We can't ever move on. We can't ever. You never get out of penis town. Yeah. Just full time. We all live in penis town now, and it's, I don't like it here. Um, but it'll be like, oh, we're talking about DNA evidence now. But um, anyway, back to these sketches. Um, he did a lot of sketches of nude women, but never any of nude men. And it's probably because he was so mad about his own penis being so busted. It's like, okay, but also. I mean, just sort of more typically, like, you see way more nude drawings of women, and I feel like that has more to do with, like, the patriarchy than, like, Walter Sickert's dick. I don't know. Did my audio drop out, or does no one want to talk about Walter Sickert's dick anymore? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. I was distracted Googling that Sawbones episode to put it in the doc. And I muted my mic so you wouldn't be able to hear me typing. Cool, cool, cool. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's it, yeah, it's like a very weird. His dick, I might be done. <laughs> like of all the, it just. And it I, and to I... me it seems like the weakest piece of evidence. Like some of this, I because she's so sure of herself, and because I don't know anything about this, I was reading, and some of this I was like, oh, I don't know, like maybe. Um, but the penis thing was just like, leave him alone. Why are we talking about this? Like, maybe talk some more about, like, matching the ink to pens that he had or whatever. Like, I don't know. I could get into that, maybe. Um, but this penis thing does not seem relevant. Yeah, it's it's just like... What, what feels so weird about the book I think is because she's so sure of herself she writes like we all know it was Sickert the whole time from page one and she's just kind of doing a joint biography of Sickert and the Jack the Ripper murders like she doesn't really go into evidence so much yeah like the whole thing is just very it's very slapdash it's like this is like a blog entry that she wrote Based on, like, her weekend abroad in London reading about Jack the Ripper at the library. it None of it really connects. It's not written and presented in any cohesive way. Like, it doesn't narratively tell a story. And like I said, even the parts that are trying to narratively tell the story of the Whitechapel murders don't do it in a cohesive, like chronological way not nothing about oh, this, this works as a book this is definitely something i would have put on my live journal circa 2009 <laughs> after getting back from london and cracking the jack the ripper murders <laughs> <laughs> like it reminds me of that fucking i can't remember if it's a viral tweet or a viral tumblr post that's like me at 3 a.m. Cracks knuckles. All right, time to solve the John Benet Ramsey murder. <laughs> that is what this feels like. It feels like she couldn't sleep one night, so she read all the Wikipedia articles on Jack the Ripper and was like, "Guys, I cracked the case." And it's like Patricia, exactly go take it. some melatonin and <laughs> get some sleep. Yeah. <sighs> um. The yeah. other the other thing I want to talk about. Uh, is the way that she talks about the murder victims, like the women, it's gross. And it's even grosser because I feel like she was sort of trying to be sensitive. Or, but even in that, she's like, anyway, like, e- like even if we had DNA, it would have been impossible to get DNA off of these women because they, like, were always so covered in, like, body fluids. And, like, oh, God... It's very, it's it, like everything about it is very judgmental too, because and I know that this is yeah. like a trend in true crime. Full stop. Like even today, this is a problem that um, you know folks need to to work against. Where it's like she's very dismissive of not only the fact that these women were sex workers, 
But, like, the lives that they had beforehand, like, one of them, she's talking about, like, oh, like, her husband had left her because she was an alcoholic. And then she, like, had this other lover, but then he left her because she was an alcoholic. And then, like, she was abused by this man and, like, you know, sexually assaulted. And, you know, she abandoned her kids and... Like, she just, like, was doing sex work and living on the streets and, like, you know, living in, like, this disgusting brothel. And then she was murdered, and I guess I kind of feel bad about it. Also, she was fat. Like, oh, yeah. Be- Ooh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that because that's another piece of evidence. Oh, yeah. Every single victim, there had to be some mention of how much they weighed. Yeah, and and that was part of her evidence because Walter Sickert, the artist, never liked to paint beautiful women. He only liked to paint women who are either too fat or too skinny, which of course means they cannot be beautiful by definition, obviously. So that was part of her thing obviously. was like all of the all of the Ripper's victims were either too fat or too thin. Therefore, Walter Sickert was into that. <laughs> I, I mean, truly. Truly, that is one of her points of evidence, and it is shaky. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just every... It, no, nothing about this is done with any compassion for the victims, any sense of history, any, like, background knowledge of the time period... Any, like, thought to how things were done back then, like, with police and medical work and everything is just, like, for all the money, she talks about how much money she spent on this, like, trips to London and to, like, visit archives to read things. She buys these paintings. She buys what she claims she knows is an original Jack the Ripper letter that, like, must have gotten stolen from the police or something. And she can t- she just knows that it's true because it sounds like it's true. And not only does she know that it's true, but she knows that Walter Sickert is the one who wrote it because of her gut and the writing style like for all the money that she spent yeah like it just she seemed to pour all of these like resources and energy into doing this without like she was trying to climb Everest without like taking fucking climbing lessons it was it's such a like it's such an absurd thing to me. Oh, I'm going to solve the most well-known murder of all time. Well-known series of murders of all time that I like barely knew about a week ago. But that's going to be my next book is I'm going to solve it. There was no context whatsoever to these historical details. With a gun to my head, I couldn't describe her theory to you but i could tell you all about walter sickert's penis i could tell you that his mom dressed him in little tiny velvet little lord fauntleroy suits <laughs> um i could tell you about his wife ellen there's just the level of detail for things that didn't matter versus the entire context of the jack the ripper murders was wild uh, here's something else that's wild according to celebritynetworth.com which i think 
isn't always the most accurate or whatever. <laughs> really? But... CelebrityNetworth.com isn't the most accurate? Nevertheless, <laughs> it is estimating Patricia Cornwell's net worth at $25 million. And even with, like, some wiggle room in there, I mean... That's a lot. That's all That's I'm saying. That's $25 million more dollars than I will ever have. Yeah, her books have sold more than you 100 know what? million copies. It was $27 million before she wrote this book, so mm. you're welcome. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, $2 million down the hole on Jack the Ripper materials. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's a good write-off for her taxes, though. Woof. And then, like, the end of the book, like, the, the book goes to, like... 80% and then the last 20% of the book is her appendices it, I just okay celebrity net worth suggested that I click on James Patterson and his net worth is allegedly <laughs> 800 million dollars I would believe that I'm closing it now but that's all listen he owes at least some of that to us for mental damages <laughs> I, sh- I should mention that he does donate a lot of money to libraries through his foundation, but not $800 million. And has and not. None, and none to, to us. us personally. <laughs> so true. I met him very briefly once in high school, and he did not hand me a wad of cash, so I'm kind of <laughs> mad in retrospect. <laughs> it's just like, and she talks in one of the early chapters, which I'm, I'm going to read a little bit from, from the dramatic reading, like, and throughout the book, like, she talks about, like, being consumed by this case and how, like, it was ruining her life because she, it was so horrible, but she was so obsessed with it. And, like, there's a bit where her editor dramatically tells her, like, you don't have to write this book. And she's like, no, I do. I have to write it. And it's like, you, you really, you really don't. Yeah, she talks about, like, how briefly, like, how upsetting it was to dig into all of this. And I'm like, well, how do you think I feel, Patricia? (laughs) (laughs) And that passage would have landed if it seemed like she sympathized with the victims at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's, I mean, she's even the same way talking about, like... Like, she, she talks about Walter Sickard's wife and his sister and how like he was a dick to so to speak uh to his <laughs> wife but but you don't <laughs> sense a lot of sympathy for the wife because it is kind of like well like she was rich and of course he took advantage of her because like he of course i don't know i didn't like it at all yeah i got interest from her in sickert himself and hot inspector Aberline, and that was about it yeah, and she did a right. So after everybody like universally was like, "This is fucking wild," like and untrue, she did write a follow up book that like I obviously we didn't read. Um, that apparently like goes further into her theory and like gives more evidence as to why Walter Sickert is the only person who could have done the Jack the Ripper murders. It is called Ripper: colon, The Secret Life of Walter Sickert. Only one. I need more subtitles. Yeah. Ripper, colon, The Secret Life of Walter Sicker, parentheses, a book that Renata will never read. And parentheses. <laughs> Thank <laughs> which, you. Yeah, which is very Perfect. specific of her, but I do feel very seen. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, there's just, and I know, 
you know, true crime's always hot. It's always been hot. The fact that the Jack the Ripper case was the talk of the town when it was happening is just, like, more evidence to that. But, like, that's what I keep... I know I keep saying it, but it's what I keep coming back to is if you're I understand being like you know what like I'm a successful crime fiction writer I'm gonna dip into that true crime money always good money in that and to choose to solve the most well-known murders of all time solve quote unquote the most well-known murders of all time in a slapdash poorly researched book that people who've dedicated their entire life to these murders are turning their nose up at that took place in murders that took place in a country other than your country of origin that you were unaware of prior to starting the book. Like, my dude, that is just, it is very ballsy. And I kind of admire it, but also, my dude, no. Especially because, I mean... I understand a, a gender neutral, my dude, of course, but Patricia yes. Cornwell truly has that like straight white man energy. Uh, and I, there, I do sort of respect that, like you were saying, but also I hate it. <laughs> she really yeah. did aim for the fences, didn't she? She yeah. could have swung lower, but no. You know, and, and she totally like struck out, but she aimed <laughs> for the fences. It's true. I think that's how baseball works, right? That I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. Can confirm. Do you have anything else to say about this bonkers weird true crime book? Uh, she made Patricia Cornwell made a brief appearance on Criminal Minds as herself. No. I vaguely remember that. I think she's she's speaking at the same conference as Reed or something. I've never watched Criminal Minds. I'm on Patricia Cornwell's Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I figured that that this was coming from the internet somewhere. Um, no, I just remembered it. It's weird. Um, <laughs> she. Uh, it also says this is a fucking great sentence. Cornwell denied being obsessed with Jack the Ripper in full page ads in two British newspapers. <gasps> Patty. Like, can we... Oh, God. Kate, can we please use Patreon money to take out a full-page newspaper ad that says, we are not obsessed with Jack the Ripper? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Can you imagine? I'm clicking on the photo. I would like to see these ads. Would love to. It's gotta be somewhere. That's incredible. If I find them, I will link to... I will link to you. This is so Some funny. ripperologist must Whoa, have Whoa, okay, the ads are thought to have cost more than 10,000 pounds each. We cannot use Patreon money for this. Um, <laughs> per, perhaps for a smaller newspaper. Um, you know, the library buys ads in the high school student paper, and they're like $50 a semester. Maybe we'll get one of those. <laughs> um, Cornell has spent as much Patricia as... Patricia could donate some money to you. Please, Cornell has spent as much as $6 million, or 3.3 million pounds, financing her investigation to the Ripper case. We undersold it at $2 million. That is wild. Oh, my God. I And, you know, now, I don't know if it's a rich person thing. I don't know if she's like, ah, oh, what's $6 million? 
if I have so many millions of dollars or if like it really is her being like, I'm not obsessed. What are you talking about? While she's like stuffing Jack the Ripper paraphernalia into her closet, pretending we can't see it. Like, yikes. 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 Okay. Um, this also says a revised edition with her latest evidence will be released in 2006. This is an archived article. I have a library copy from 2002, so I don't have the revised edition. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and and wager that it is still whack. Yeah. It's possible the ebook version is the revised version. Do you have a huge appendix in the back with all of her information? I mean, yes, but... I do in mine, yeah. I don't know. I'm certainly not going to devote any more time to thinking about that. Uh, Why don't we instead move on to um, our dramatic readings? Sounds good. Uh, I think I'm going first. Please, please do. So like I mentioned earlier, there's a section at the uh, very near to the start of the book where... Um, she is talking about how hard it was to write the book and how upset she was. And it also involves some name dropping. So I'm going to put that in too. Uh, I wasn't originally, but then I saw it and I was like, oh, I should put that in. Please. Um, so here, here is chapter two, the tour. I don't remember much about that night. Not even the restaurant where a group of us ate. I vaguely recall that Leslie Stahl told a scary story about her latest investigation for 60 minutes, and everyone at the table was talking politics and economics. I offered another writer encouragement, citing my usual empowerment spiels and do-what-you-love lines, because I did not want to talk about myself or the work that I I worried was ruining my life. My heart felt squeezed, as if grief would burst in my chest any moment. My literary agent, Esther Newberg, and I set out on foot for our part of town. Skip ahead a little bit. How's it going? Esther asked. To tell you the truth, I began, because I rarely told Esther the truth. It was not my habit to admit to my agent or my publisher, Phyllis Gran, that I was ever frightened or uneasy about what I was doing. The two women were the big shots in my professional existence and had faith in me. If I said I had been investigating Jack the Ripper and knew who he was, they didn't doubt me for a moment. I'm miserable, I confessed, and I was so dismayed that I felt like crying. You are? Esther's stop-for-nothing stride hesitated for a moment on Lexington Avenue. You're miserable? Really? Why? I hate this book, Esther. I don't know how the hell... All I did was look at his painting and his and his life, and one thing led to another. She didn't say a word. It has always been easier for me to get angry than to show fear or loss, and I was losing my life to Walter Richard Sickert. He was taking it away from me. I want to write my novels, I said. I don't want to write about him. There's no joy in this, none. Well, you know, she said very calmly as she resumed her pace. You don't have to do it. I can get you out of it. God, I wish, I wish she would have listened. <laughs> she could have gotten me out of it, but I could never have gotten myself out of it. I knew the identity of a murderer, and I couldn't possibly avert my gaze. 
like she had but to she do it. But uh, but I'm not obsessed though. Um, please stop saying that I'm obsessed. And again, like to revisit this timeline, this book came out in 2002, and she started writing it in 2001. Like I understand things can get hard and can take over your life, but like it's not been that long. Oof. All right. Well, I'm gonna read you a little bit about Walter Sickert's penis. Ray. And and I feel like this first sentence I'm about to read is so important, and then she just, like, disregards. Without medical records, I can't say exactly what Sickert's penile anomaly was. Or can (laughs) she? But if his problem was only (laughs) trifling hypospadias, which she defined earlier, and whatever, you can Google it if you want. Why did his parents resort to risky surgery? Why did his mother and father wait so long before attempting to correct what must have been a very unpleasant affliction? Sickert was five when he underwent surgery the third time, and one wonders how soon this occurred following the first two operations. We know that his great-aunt interceded to bring him to London, suggesting that his disability was acute and that possibly the two previous operations had been recent and may have resulted in complications. That is so many hypotheticals. If indeed he was three or four when this nightmarish medical ordeal began, it could be that his parents delayed corrective procedures until they were certain of his gender. I do not know when Sickert was named Walter Richard. To date, no birth certificate or record of a christening has turned up. In Helena, which is his sister, in Helena's memoirs, she writes that when she was a child, quote, we always referred to Walter and his brothers as, quote, Walter and the boys. Who are we? I doubt his brothers referred to himself as Walter and the boys, nor would I imagine that little Helena came up with the phrase on her own. I am inclined to to suspect that the reference to Walter and the boys came from one or both parents. Given Helena's picture of a young Walter who was precocious and dominant, such a law unto himself that he wasn't placed in the same category as the other sons, it may be that the phrase Walter and the boys was a way of acknowledging his precocity. Precocity? Hmm. I think precocity's right. All right. Thank you. It may also be that he was physically different from his brothers, or maybe from all boys. Patricia, what are you doing? <laughs> Patricia! <laughs> if the latter is the explanation, the repeated use of the phrase could have been humiliating and emasculating for the young Walter. Sickert's early boyhood was traumatized by medical violence. When corrective surgery for hypospadias occurs after the age of 18 months, it can create fears of castration. Sickert's operations would have resulted in strictures and scarring that could have made erections painful or impossible. He may have suffered partial amputation. His art does not include nude males, with the exception of two sketches I found that appear to have been done when he was in his teens or in art school. In each, the nude male figure has a vague stub of a penis that looks anything but normal. Um, I'll stop there, but it is... Actually, no, I won't, because there's, there's just a few more things that are, again, so bananas. Okay. One of the most distinctive features of the Ripper letters is that so many of them were written with drawing pens and daubed or smeared with bright inks and paints. They show the skilled hand of a highly trained or professional artist. 
More than a dozen include phallic drawings of knives, all long, dagger-like instruments, except for two strange, short, truncated blades in brazenly taunting letters. One of the stubby knife letters, mailed on July 22nd, 1889, was penned in black ink on two pages of cheap paper that bear no watermarks. So, to recap, Walter Sigurd never drew dicks, except for when he did, um, and Jack the Ripper drew knives that kind of look like dicks. Also, before Becky goes, I was looking at my bookmarks, and I found, just to add to the list of reasons why Walter Sigurd did it and Jack the Ripper didn't, in a Jack the Ripper letter, he signed it, homo sum, Latin for I am a man, and in another letter, he signed it qui vir, Latin for witch man. And once Sickert wrote a letter oh. to Whistler where he referred to him as Eke Homo or behold the man. So, you know, clearly the Ripper used Latin to refer to things and so did Sickert. So they're the same person. Uh -huh. Processing his masculinity in Latin. <laughs> what the fuck, Patricia? What the, what the fuck, Patricia? <sighs> All right, Becky, could you please dazzle All us right. with some more Patty gems? All right. Um, so as a little chaser for our dramatic reading portion, I um, took pictures of all of the most bonkers lines I came across as I was reading. So I'm going to read you a little selection of those. I will give context if there is context, but I have to note that for a lot of them, this just comes out of fucking nowhere. Um, this is where um, she was trying to parse Sickert's feelings towards the church. I hate Christianity, Sickert once yelled at a Salvation Army band. You know what? Mood. Uh, here, I... No, this one has no context. Years later, he would go through a time when he thought he had a sexually transmitted disease that turned out to be gout. <laughs> one of my favorite out of context. Uh, Sickert's art was premeditated and so were his crimes. I <laughs> uh, uh, Here is a bit of Patty's process um, in her own crime solving. The people in the house didn't want anyone to know the man had died in bed during the middle of the night. So they tried to move him to a chair. Rigor mortis replied, lie. <laughs> um, and in one of my absolute favorites, um, Patricia goes into a little tangent about the elephant man. Oh my um, God. Yes. And oh my God. she com <laughs> she compares him at length to Walter Sickert. And this is the crux of her thesis right here. Dr. Treves noted that one would expect Merrick, the elephant man, to be a bitter, hateful man because of the abominable way he had been treated all his life. How could he be kind and sensitive when he had known nothing but mockery and cruel abuse? How could anyone be born with more against him? As Dr. Treves pointed out, Merrick would have been better off insensible and unaware of his hideous appearance. In a world that worships beauty, what greater anguish can there be to suffer from such revolting ugliness? I don't think anyone would argue with the notion that Merrick's deformity was more tragic than Sickert's. Yeah. Correct. I don't think anyone would argue Correct. that. <laughs> Therefore... Would anyone, would anyone think... She also sort of briefly investigates, like, could the yeah. elephant man have done it? And then she's like, no, he, was, he wasn't physically strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, wh what? Was that anyone's theory at all? Like, what? 
also, I just keep remembering all our fucking wild theories. There's also one where she's like, I know he did it because, like, when you look at his paintings, all of the men look like they want to murder women. And sometimes you can see, like, phantom faces of angry men in the background behind women. Yes. Can you? <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, I, that's right, where there was one in the, over somebody's shoulder. Um, here's one quote, one, just like one line that I want to read. Um, if people in the 21st century have difficulty accepting the fact that a psychopathic killer can be attractive, likable, and intelligent, like, I, I, that's so funny to me because like maybe in 2002 that was a bold statement, but now I feel like, now I feel like the statement is, oh, people are like too horny for serial killers and like we need to calm down about that. But, it, like, I feel like even, you know, too. as a devotee of forensic files, fucking every forensic files is like, you know, but everyone in town just thought that he was like a nice man and a good husband and a good family man. But beneath the surface lay a killer who did a bunch of murders that we're going to tell you how we solved using forensics. Like, that's that's the spiel like the 2002 was way after like fucking the stranger beside me was published like we knew (laughs) no the the hot serial killer trend i think had been going on for quite some time when she wrote this so yeah it's not it's it's not it's like I said, like it's Ted Bundy, like that was his deal. Was he was like, oh, I'm unassuming and nice, and I have a broken arm. Please help me out of my car. Like, literally, she even references Rule. Ted Bundy several times throughout yes. the book. Literally, Anne Rule's book is about how like she worked with this guy who was so unassuming and cool, and it turned out he was a murderer. Like, I'm. I'm but not... did we know before Patricia cracked it? <laughs> You can't see the hands that I'm making at the microphone, but I'm making them. Dorje is so energized by this hot take that he has just completed a full lap around the apartment. <laughs> so. Oh, God. So there's one more line that I want to read, and I think it's a good one for me to close with. If any part of Sickert's anatomy symbolized his entire being, it wasn't his disfigured penis. It was his eyes. Like, what, though? This was a book that we read, (laughs) and I'm sorry. (laughs) It was my fault, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, World fever dream. Just truly, just... uh, Okay, Um, shall we move on and play some Would You Rather? Let's. Let's. Would you rather listen to a true crime podcast or read um, the sequel, Ripper, colon, The Secret Life of Walter Sickert? Um, For me, I think this answer is obvious. This book is fucking bonkers, but not in the good way. And I already listen to like 15 true crime podcasts. So podcast for me. I would go so far as to say I would listen to just about any true crime podcast rather than read the sequel. Except maybe Sword and Scale. (laughs) Yeah, so I I guess I'll listen to a true crime. I mean, if I can pick, like, if Serial counts, like, I I listen to Serial. 
But e- even if it was, like, a real crimey one, like, that's still probably, like, an hour of my time, and reading that whole book is going to be more than that. <sighs> I think criminal's technically true crime. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I did listen to, like, their Jonestown one. They have a really good one about um, the Venus flytrap trafficking industry. Okay. It's very wild. What? Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, here's the question I've... Here's the scenario I've concocted, which I think reveals my truest feelings about this whole situation. Um, Would you rather travel back in time and definitively learn the identity of Jack the Ripper... Or sit at home and do literally nothing. I mean, if I could get back to this time period after I learned it, I think I'd go back. Because first of all, free time travel. Second of all, I mean, I'd bring my phone and I'd take a picture of something. I don't know. But also, it would be interesting to know. But also, like, I, I'd also be fine not doing that. Like, I'm not dying for it, but time travel does sound good. Yeah, I'm not going. I think I would sit at home I'm not and going. wait for Kate to tell me who Jack yeah, the Ripper I'll, is. You know what, yeah. Kate, if you write a tweet about your findings, I'll read it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the level of information that I would like on this. Or none. Literally none. I'll sit at home, um... Tend to Duarte as he sings his mournful songs, and that's enough for me. I'm I don't give a shit. I don't feel like my quality of life will improve at all if I know who Jack the Ripper is. And that's again my spicy that's hot that? take on Jack the Ripper. <laughs> 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 all right, well let's move on to readers' advisory, where we'll suggest some books or true crime podcasts or time machines that you can <laughs> um, read instead of or in addition to this book again I, I think this is a pretty definitive instead of from all of us I, I'll, well, yeah. I'll let you weigh in more because you are you are the true crime hive in a way that I'm not but... Yeah, I, I can't I mean even if you like true crime like there is not this is not worth reading even for a funny factor. Like it's not, it's not that funny. It's just fucking weird. But if you are interested in we true read crime, all the funny parts for you. Yes, we did do that. If you are interested in true crime, I already mentioned um, the stranger beside me by Anne rule, which if you couldn't get it from context is a book that she wrote um, because she worked with Ted Bundy and like was buddies with him. And essentially like wrote a book about it and then went on to write a bunch of other really good true crime books um i'll be got in the dark by michelle mcnamara is uh about the golden state killer that's like new and in the news um who killed these girls by beverly lowry is about the austin yogurt shop murders that's also is also good and that's a an interesting one to dig into um and uh, some podcasts that I would recommend are uh, two podcasts that had a big year last year, um, In the Dark and Bear Brook are both very good. Um, the Fall Line is very good. It covers a lot of lesser known cases uh, and cases involving people of color in the South. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm a big My Favorite Murder fan. If you like your true crime to be a little bit more irreverent, which I do, because much like Karen and Georgia, that, like, comedy release valve is very good for me when talking about, like, intense topics. So there's some stuff from me. Becky, what do you what do you have to share with the class? The one I had in mind while reading this uh, was Jacoby by William Ritter. It's a YA novel. It's a really fun Sherlock Holmes pastiche. Those of you who like elementary will like it because it has a female Watson character. And uh, it will give you that a 19th century um, London serial killer vibe without having to struggle through Patty and her penis theories. Mm. Nice. Um, we mentioned earlier a little bit uh, The Name of the Star by Maureen Johnson, which I did like, despite it being sort of about Jack the Ripper, because mostly it's about ghosts and American teenagers being whimsical in London, and I prefer those things. There's a recent-ish book called The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. I haven't read it, probably not going to, but I like the idea of it. I've heard that it's good. And, uh, you know, again, as we said, Patricia Cornwell does not seem to really give a shit about the victims. So presumably Hallie Rubenhold does. And I think that's nice. Um, a couple of books- incredible things about the five. Yeah. Um, and then I read a book recently called Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe. And it's a nonfiction book. And it's sort of like a meta true crime book almost. And that it's sort of. Like, she herself describes herself as, like, a true crime enthusiast, uh, but it's sort of, like, trying to figure out, like, to unpack the appeal of true crime and especially, like, why women are so drawn to it. And I thought it was really interesting, even though, again, I'm not one of those women. (laughs) Oh, and we should should recommend Sadie by Courtney Summer, which we do (laughs) periodically, which I was just thinking about because it came up last night at my book club when we read a different book that was not as good as Sadie. But it's very good few things are um yes yeah and to recap sadie is partly told in the format of a transcript of a fake true crime podcast um but i liked it anyway Uh, also i want to recap that i i know sometimes people feel defensive about their interest in true crime and i need to be clear that like i'm not judging you i just don't like it (laughs) and that's fine it's fine for me not to like it it's fine for you not to like it or I think I said the same thing twice. It's fine for you to like it. <laughs> it's not fine to do murders. Though. No. But people like different things. Bernada likes cats. I like reading about murders mm-hmm. alone in my room at night. Mm-hmm. Like a normal I like person. Both things. I'm the middle <laughs> ground. <laughs> yeah, in the Venn diagram. Cats and murder. Yeah. Um, Duarte only likes murder and not cats. <laughs> if you want to know my favorite Texas monthly articles, there's too many to put on our show notes, but just like fucking message me on Twitter, at me on Twitter at any time, and I'll send you my favorite Texas monthly articles. Is Texas monthly only about crimes or is it about Texas and they just happen to have crimes a lot? It's about Texas and they have an incredible, one of their editors is an incredible true crime writer just there so there's just like a lot of very good content um okay but it is like i've always wondered that because i do always see people talking about like crime stories in texas monthly do the crimes sorry dorote wants to play it's not time uh do the crimes 
always take place in Texas? Yes, largely. Okay. But there, uh, Skip Hollinsworth is an editor there. Um, he might be like the like news editor or something, but he is just also just like an incredible true crime long form long read writer. Well, we'll have links to all of this and some other stuff up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. Um, we'll also include, um, like we mentioned earlier, Becky's upcoming book, The Valley and the Flood, which at the time we're recording this is listed as number one in Amazon's highly specific category of death fiction for young adults. Um, so that seems relevant. That it's not actually out until October, but you can pre-order it now and then get ready to read some death fiction in, you know, spooky times. Yeah. And if you pre-order now, you will keep me in the, maybe not the number one spot, maybe in the top five uh, new releases in teen fiction about death and dying. So I don't know if that's a motivation for you, but hopefully it will be. should be. Cool. Okay, so like I said, we'll have all that at worstbestsellers.com. And now it's time for our candy pairing, where we'll suggest a candy to accompany this book. Uh, The candy that I chose was Gruel, because the research that I did led me to believe that this was all that was available for children in olden times. And sure, historians and candy experts may disagree with me, but I just spent like five minutes Wikipediaing this, so I'm definitely an expert now. Candy case closed. Correct. Correct. Uh, My candy choice was the leftover penis lollipops from your bachelorette party. Doesn't have to be yours. Could be your friends. But if they're a little melted, then that's ideal. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Mine is uh, the ginger people ginger chews uh, because those help with nausea, which I have after reading this book. (laughs) All right, now it is time for the Rock, Paper, Snicked, our game where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Becky can choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. I'll never leave it as is. (laughs) (laughs) If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, I mean, let's just be frank. The Rock could solve the Jack the Ripper case, but he chooses not to do so so as not to insult the detectives working on it. And that's just facts. Yeah, he's a very uh, <laughs> he's very respectful toward law enforcement. I think we know that about The Rock. Um, if Wolverine were in this book, I think he would be a Jack the Ripper suspect on account of him being extremely old and having murder hands. <laughs> But I do I do believe that Patricia would exonerate him immediately on the grounds of having a perfect penis. <laughs> well, you both make a really compelling argument. I appreciate that The Rock is such a considerate gentleman. I love that about him. But I really think that Wolverine's narrative arc here is important. And <laughs> I would very much appreciate having him uh, prove his innocence. So I'm going to go with Wolverine here. All right, thank you. That's fair. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I think Wolverine's perfect penis just, um, it deserves everything it gets. <laughs> um, what do we think the moral of the story is? My moral of the story is, if you're rich and or famous, you can pretend to be an expert in whatever you want. Mm, so true. <laughs> 
my moral of the story is don't dress your child in little Lloyd Fauntleroy velvet suits or he will become a murderer. Uh, my moral of the story is murder is gross. Solid. Very definitive. Yeah. And I, honestly, I don't know why we need to keep poking around in it. Seems like we already know that it's gross. <laughs> case um, closed. Case closed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now it's time for Doris Corner, although he has been weighing in periodically. Um, let's just, just, just let it rip, Dorte. Oh, yeah, thank you for reminding me. There is a hero cat in this book who, um, no, I don't remember. I made note of it. Um, like, was sleeping he with He sits a pa- on the chest. Yes. Wait. Oh, was it, was the cat at the scene of one of the women who actually was murdered? I think the cat sits on somebody's chest when they try to get up to investigate uh, a cry of, oh, murder. Oh, so the ca- so the cat kept them from being murdered potentially, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. So that's helpful, just like Dory Day. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, as, as a neutered cat, I think Dory Day does find it very offensive this idea that some kind of genital genital mutilation might necessarily make someone a serial killer. Doesn't seem to quite add up. All right. Well, Dorite, thank you. I appreciate your input. Uh, I know this book was was a lot for you, and thank you for reading it. Yeah, we always appreciate you, you know, helping us out with these. Mm -hmm. Love you, Dorite. Cat closed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Bud, your time's (gasps) up. Um, no. No. Fucking what? I'm gonna wash my hands of this. Mm. By the way, I got this book from the library, and the first few pages definitely had, like, a suspicious brownish stains on them. Is it blood? I don't want to know. (laughs) But I will pay a million dollars to run a DNA test on it. Oh, Jesus Christ, Dorte. (laughs) Yeah, whoever had the book before, Renata, please come forward. Yes. Well, if you would like to come tell us your theories about who Jack the Ripper is, uh, well, first of all, only tell them to Kate, but if you want to tell them to the, <laughs> the whole podcast, um, we are on Facebook. Hold on one second. Dorite! Dorite, let me hide oh. social media. Dorite. Dorothy's like, Mark Zuckerberg is ruining this nation and you need to stop trying to tell people about your Facebook page. Um, don't worry, Dorothy. I always forget to update it, so it's not very useful. But if you would like to like us on Facebook, it is facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. Um, we are also on Twitter, which we are slightly more active on, at worst bestseller with no S. And um, the S had a fistula in it and was surgically removed from our Twitter name. And that explains everything about why we are the way we are. Think about it. Uh, And we have a Goodreads group where you can um, chat with us there and get some book recommendations from our bookshelf. And the best way to access that is to go to worstbestsellers.com and click on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the places where there are podcasts. You know where they are, because you're listening to this episode. 
Uh, if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it pushes us up on the charts, makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review, then unfortunately, uh, we will be forced to take some of your DNA and uh, run some very expensive DNA tests on it. And who knows, it might implicate you in the Jack the Ripper murders. Gasp. <laughs> you can also... <laughs> Uh, subscribe to us or pledge to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like buy new equipment and pay for our web hosting and pay our editor. Uh, and in return, there are perks for you, like a monthly newsletter about what Renata and I are reading and listening and watching, postcards, and uh, all sorts of other stuff. We also have merch available. You go to Worst Best Sellers and click on merch. You can find all sorts of stuff that advertises our podcast that you could wear on your body. Can we, does Redbubble make underwear? Can we make underwear that says like definitive proof that I'm not Jack the Ripper and then like an arrow? <laughs> we'll look into that. Just a thought. I'd buy too. <laughs> If you want to come talk to me and Duarte on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks, and Duarte reads over my shoulder all the time. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at 14across. And Becky, where can people find you and your book? You can find me on Twitter at Cafe Cliche, um, and you can add uh, The Valley and the Flood on Goodreads or pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or IndieBound. And you should. And you should. Um, cool. Becky, thank you for joining us and making it through this book. I know that was a sacrifice. Thank you for having me. It was a journey that I'll never forget. <laughs> I'm sorry that you'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um... We'll be back in two weeks with Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. And if you're a really sharp-eared listener, you might remember that we said that before and then didn't read it. And uh, we think we have our schedule figured out now, and I'm reasonably confident that in two weeks we actually will have read Girl, Wash Your Face. Hooray. Um, if nothing else, I promise that I will have literally washed my face within two weeks. So <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Face washed, serial killer skin mask on. Um. That serial killer killer skin mask. As soon as I said it, I felt bad about it. <laughs> Never feel bad about it. Um, that goes to a dark place. Uh, my my sheet mask for my skin that makes me look like a serial killer, maybe. Or not may- not. In a mask of made of someone else's skin. Oh, I'm disgusted. Just thinking about that. It doesn't have to be a face-off situation. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I, yeah, I will have a thin piece of cloth with chemicals on my face, and I will be watching the Nicolas Cage movie Face Off. <laughs> <laughs> and I guarantee that. <laughs> um, well... I think it's time to stop recording because who knows what I'm going to (laughs) say. Sounds good. (laughs) Uh, 
Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.